Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Knife Perspective Podcast number 087. We've got Brent Smith of Bald Man Knife and Tool. And uh, how are you doing tonight, Brent? I am doing great, Kyle. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. We've got some snow and stuff up here, and it was wicked cold today. It was in the 20s. Man, it got stupid cold here, too. It was like, I mean, it got down to like 52. Wow. That's pretty wicked. <laughs> Walking the boys to school, what I normally do, it was, uh, the wind was a little brisk this morning, but. Oh, man. Eh, I like the snow. It's, uh, I did, uh, like, uh, Scooby-Doo yesterday, uh, on the ice. It was like, like my feet were like. <laughs> you almost did Swinging it. in and out. Yeah, I almost, I almost ate it. And I was, uh, what was really weird, or was really scary because it was like, uh on this uh pretty steep driveway like pretty close to the road and my son was like starting to like scooby-doo it also and uh <laughs> i was afraid we were gonna like fall into the street so oh um, no yeah luckily everybody was fine but Good. yeah we've been we got uh got our first snowfall of the the year on sunday so uh it's been kind of fun throwing snowballs with the boys and stuff like that Good. So the snow comes down and it's actually sticking, getting, getting to play with it. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been probably pretty good to make a snowman with. It was, it was pretty packable on Sunday, but then we ended up going into the city to uh, my sister-in-law's house for uh, like a makeup Thanksgiving. We did Thanksgiving down at my, my parent, my family's place in Southern Indiana and uh, so we met up when we got back up here on Sunday. So nice. Thanksgiving was good. Yeah. You have a good Thanksgiving over there. Yeah. Thanksgiving was good. Did a little work in the morning. Um, went to my parents' house, spent some time with, uh, with them, did the family thing, my kids and, um, over there just had a nice relaxing time. And so, yeah, no complaints. All the traditional man. Thanksgiving foods. Or? Yeah. Turkey stuffing. You know, green bean casserole, whole nine yards. Got to, got to keep it traditional. Yeah, I always loved green bean casserole, and that was like my dish to bring. Yeah, and I, I loved it because it was so easy. It is like buy the canned green beans, get the soup, mix it up, bake it. Yeah, throw all the fried onions on top. It's delicious. And and those are always the best ones. Every once in a while, you get somebody that tries to make like really fancy ones with fresh green beans and fry the onions and do all that and uh and well i've only had one that was good that a buddy of mine made we had a big friends giving uh oh it's probably been 10 years ago now and uh everybody brought a dish and a buddy of mine made some like fresh green bean casserole and it was great but i've had other ones that were not great but mm -hmm. the key has always been get those canned green beans and get after it yeah 
Yeah. So my my wife is gluten free. So now she's like, oh, you've loved green bean casserole so much. We'll make gluten free green bean casserole. Well, you got to fry your own onions. You got to make your own like mushroom soup. You got to like do all this stuff. It's like a huge ordeal. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I don't even want green bean casserole anymore. <laughs> but one of my other one of my other dishes that uh, I love to make is I uh, posted a picture of it on Instagram. The sweet potatoes, and then I put the bacon over top, and then bake them. Okay, or roast the potatoes. So as the bacon cooks, the bacon fat falls down yeah. and kind of crispies the the sweet potatoes and stuff. And then you take the bacon off chop it all up mix it all together it's delicious awesome a little salt and pepper on the sweet potatoes yeah we had um we had some sweet potatoes one year um we went to family out of state we had this one sweet potato dish that i had never had before and i don't think i've had it since but it was great and it was sweet potatoes they did the marshmallows like a little bit of marshmallows in it but Mm -hmm. the the one of the things that they threw in there was they threw in um pistachios okay and it actually turned out really good tasted great so that was interesting that one time i've had like a different sweet potato deal was pistachios in there and it was uh pretty good i did um i did some i usually do the deviled eggs every year when we do it Mm -hmm. and i do half and half i'll do like the traditional and then i do hot ones and i use um i've done two different versions I love, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Melinda's hot sauce. Mm-mm. They're really good hot sauces. So they have a habanero honey mustard. I did that one year. It was great. And then this year I did a little different and I used Melinda's uh, also, but they have a ghost pepper wing sauce mm-hmm. that I mixed in there. And that was great. So if you want to spice up your uh, deviled eggs, Melinda's habanero honey mustard. It's killer, and the ghost pepper is really good too. Nice, yeah. I, I'm I'm not quite ghost pepper heat. I can do some habanero, but usually yeah. once it gets to ghost pepper, I'm like, I know it's going to be too hot for me. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a northern boy. You just gotta you just gotta <laughs> dial it down a little, not put so much in, and then it's all right. Yeah one of one of my friends, uh, it was when Dave's Insanity Sauce was like the king of hot sauces. Yeah, and I got him some of that for for christmas and he decided to pour some in put some in with his pierogies like in the boiling water oh yeah and uh, <laughs> then he like bent over and like sniffed it and basically <laughs> maced himself oh and then he, man then he said he ended up in the like in the shower <laughs> like crying <laughs> i i basically maced everyone in our house one day i decided i was gonna fix like scrambled eggs and stuff for breakfast and I got some fresh jalapenos and, and diced them up mm. and I wasn't thinking and I decided to saute them, which then just did mace. The, the oils whole, are in the air. Everybody in the house was like tearing, had to open up all the windows. Yeah, it was, it was pretty horrible. <laughs> that was a big mistake. Don't, don't saute fresh jalapenos if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Noted. Uh, all right. So as you guys might have noticed, uh, Dan is not on the podcast today. He's not feeling very well, but uh, hopefully we'll have him for the next one. Pretty excited for the the next guest that we're going to be recording next week. So leave that for a radio tease for you guys. 
But I wanted to give our sponsors a shout out. We got Jance Knife Supply, and you can use code KPGRIP for 10% off all your handle materials at Jance. Uh, You also have Atlas Materials. They're uh, doing a great job over there. Uh, Make sure you check out their eBay store for a lot of their closeout stuff. I know they've been going through a bunch of their uh, backlog of stuff, kind of clearing house for some new materials and stuff they're getting at the start of the year. So they said they were going to uh, start putting some more stuff up there. So look for some good deals on their eBay store. Phoenix Abrasives, we've got discount code KP10 for 10% off all your orders there. Uh, lots of good belts and stuff there. I'm getting ready to grind a whole bunch of, uh, 154 CM and Magna Cut. So just stocked up on a bunch of belts from there. We also have Rid Runner Blades. Uh, Taylor Grinds is doing a bunch of good stuff over there. All your production and custom knife needs there. Make sure you check them out. And we've got Set Supply, Spencer, Ed, and Todd. They are doing a lot of cool stuff with the resins and things like that. Uh, doing some cool bottle openers and uh, different things like that. So make sure you check those guys out. They're makers just like us. Ed also got his knife in the uh, Knives uh, 2024 magazine. Had a kitchen knife in there. So make sure you check that out. And uh, we also have uh, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can find Dan and my knives at Knife Center. You can also find Dan's knives at the Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner Blades, and Asheville Crafted Edge. You can find my knives at Northside Cutlery, and you can find my knife making tools at Phoenix Abrasives and Housemade.us. And you can find my firework books at USA Knife Maker and Jance Knife Supply. Big long list of stuff there. Next, we have our uh, knife shows and Guild Watch. We've got uh, Blade Show Texas that's going to be coming up in February, I believe it is this year. I forgot to write down the date there. You know of any any other knife shows coming up? I do not. Probably got some gun shows down there. Yeah, I don't know of any other knife shows coming up. Didn't they just have a New York Custom Knife Show? Oh, yeah. New York Custom Knife Show in Nashville, Tennessee? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... um. I know a bunch of the slip joint guys go down there. Yeah. Uh, so. Yep. That was the only, the only recent show that I know of. But that one's in the past. People can't go there. I know. It was a bummer. <laughs> or at least not, not this year. But do you have any, you think of any shout outs? Um, yeah. I mean. Put, putting you on the spot. Yeah. I've only got really one shout out that comes to mind. Um is uh, my buddy Jared over at Echo Blades. That guy, uh talk to him all the time. Uh, rock solid guy. He's uh, making some killer stuff. He was just showing me some stuff last night. I was chatting with him that he's got in the works, and uh, he's got some really cool stuff going on. So uh, cool. can't say enough good stuff about him. Yeah. Uh, one of my shout-outs is uh, Derek Melton. He had a Black Friday sale ten dollars off one of his or his uh, swage blocks. I bought one of the swage blocks since I'm gearing up for all my forging stuff. But if you don't follow Derek Melton, uh, he's a all around great guy. Always showing a lot of his processes and stuff. How he makes a bunch of his things, blacksmithing tools. Does a lot of uh, smaller kind of culinary products and stuff. Does the like 
railroad uh, spike meat turners, uh, spatulas, does some bottle openers and all sorts of stuff. He does these like uh, where he unfolds the steel into a cross. Right. Uh, does a lot of those cool things. So, and he shares a lot on his stories, uh, how he does all that stuff and things that are going on in the knife community. Really great guy. Appreciate all of his work doing that. Definitely. One of the other ones I had was uh, Travis Haynes, Bird Forge uh, slash Pelican Paste. I bought, uh, finally bought some of the Pelican Paste. I've worked through a bunch of my backlog of the other stuff. So uh, he's got a new formulation, the soft uh, version. So I bought some of that. I got it today. Uh, It's not very soft when it's 20 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, (laughs) FYI. (laughs) <laughs> but looking forward to trying some of that i was uh but or I, I was laughing with him saying these these feel like they're both the same hardness <laughs> he goes maybe you should let it thaw out first <laughs> uh, so so what do you i got a question for you on the um those pace um okay. what do you normally use them for how do you use them uh so i'm planning on using it for my carbide handles the carbide hammer handles okay um that's mainly what I'm going to probably use that on, but, uh, I decided to support him and I've heard it's good stuff. Yeah. Sometimes I'll use pace and stuff like that on some G10. If I'm like, if it's not, sometimes you get kind of like whitish, uh, stuff with G10, or at least I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I can never seem to quite get it to go away, like going higher and higher with sandpaper grits. Right. Uh, and I'll use some of that. It's almost uh, like those fibers paste. just sticking out a little bit. Yeah. Or it's not even like sticking out. They just like color and then you put a little wax over it and they just like, they like disappear. Okay. And, um, they, from my experience, they don't usually come back once you, once you kind of do some of that. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Sometimes I put it on some of the, some of the high carbon stuff that I do, but I haven't, I've tried to stay away from high carbon steels for, I probably haven't done anything for over a year now. So I just don't like the rust. So, right. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, um, yeah, I got tired of dealing with rust. I got too frustrated. Yeah. And, and having, um, you know, you mentioned the gun shows because I do a lot of those gun shows. Um, I wound up, there was so much explaining that went into knife care that I just, I don't know. I didn't have the, the stomach to continue to say to give the spiel and put in the knife care cards in the boxes. And so really the only high carbon I do is whenever I do anything Damascus Okay, just because of that. Yeah. I, uh, didn't wipe my Alabama Damascus knives down at blade show, uh, one year and overnight, there was like a big thumbprint Ugh. on uh, one of them. Luckily I was able to use like a, it's like a wolf cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of like suede. It's like a polishing, like a, like a jeweler's polish, right? Yeah. It, I don't think it has any abrasive in it, but I was able to rub it in it like went away, but I was going to be so mad because <laughs> uh, that was, that was the same show that I found out that most painters tape have acid in mm. the adhesive. And that's when I had to re hand sand, like 
20 blades that I brought to Blade uh, Show, like, literally the day before I was leaving. It had, like, all the little pits and inconsistencies. Yeah, it was like, so I, I usually leave, I now use electrical tape, which doesn't have any acid in it over the surface so that it protects it while I'm doing all the hand sanding and everything. And, um, so that morning I had gotten up and I was, uh, was like, this will be great. All I have to do is sharpen like 45, 45 knives or something like that. (laughs) And then I'll, I'll just knock that all out in this like three hours that I have before my wife and I, we can just like clean the knives up, like take photos of them and it'll be an easy peasy night. And uh, I take the first one off and it's like all pitted. Like, Holy cow. That's horrible. And uh, I may have said something worse. That's the worst but, feeling. <laughs> and then I, I was like, maybe it was just one. And I take it off the next one. Like, uh oh. Yeah. And then I ended up having to take a half day off work and left or because I, I still had some stuff that I had to get done uh, before I went down. And yeah got home as quickly as I could. And I hand sanded for like eight hours, uh, redoing all those blades and re etching them and everything. So, Oh, that's horrible. That's the worst feeling. Yeah. Very little painters tape is used in any of my, my blades anymore. So yeah. And then I'm going to probably be using some of that paste wax stuff for some of the blacksmithing stuff that I'll be doing. I bought a bunch of tong kits from Ken's custom iron. Okay. Uh, cool. So they're the quick, quick tongs. There was a quick tongs and a rapid tongs. One of them was three eighths of an inch thick steel. The other one was five sixteenths, about the thicker one. But yeah, some tongs, and then I also bought the. They make a special tong for holding on to railroad spike heads. So, oh, cool. um, that'll be some of the first Apollo Forge projects. Uh, is making some tongs awesome hold stuff and i've got one of the one of the gnome hammer forge hammers on it that that should be coming here soon yep yeah that's those those hammers turned out so cool ryan knocked it out of the park with those yeah i've been loving watching the the updates and stuff that he's been doing although he's kind of is making me motion sick at the beginning of his Well, you know, he's uh, he's forging out so many hammers, his hands are a little shaky, their <laughs> forearms get a little sore. So, no, he's been uh, killing it with those hammers. They, um, I mean, he's always just been a, he just works nonstop. But, uh, yeah, he's been really good about documenting that process, and it's really cool to see, um, see all those hammers uh, coming to life, you know, as they yeah. go. Yeah, I thought it was really cool too doing the the work for it Patreon releasing yeah. it us a special link to get one before it was who was I talking to they beat me or uh, was it I can't remember who it was now I was talking to somebody and he beat me by like twenty seconds getting his <laughs> hammer before me yeah those hammers went so quick I was. Uh... I was packing orders, going through stuff, and I packed an order, and then by the time I came back to the computer and hit refresh, I had I had felt, you know, when you feel accomplished, when you, like, clear lists, and so yeah. I had this, like, order list down to, like, half of a page, and I was really stoked about it. So, I get it down to half a page, go throw it on the, the cart for USPS, and then 
I come back, refresh the page, and it's like a page and a half now. Within like, <laughs> I kid you not, within 30 seconds, Brian didn't tell me that he had released those to the Patreon. So mm. I'm freaking out. Like, what the heck? How did this just grow? Like, and I scroll through and all of a sudden I see like hammer, 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 hammer. And I'm like, okay, now I get yeah. it. <laughs> I'm I'm good. But I had, nice. definitely had a panic moment. Yeah, that was funny. So, yeah, make sure you check out uh, Gnome Hammer Forge, and uh, I'm excited. I told him, uh, better get a sticker in with my hammer, and he said, don't worry. I'll make sure there's a sticker in there. <laughs> He's got one of the coolest, like, he Gnome Forge Hammer guys that I've ever seen. So, pretty neat. Uh, and then my last shout-out is a combo shout-out. Uh, one of my good knife maker friends up here in Chicago, Sam Goldbrook, uh, and another guy that I'm friends with, Dylan, and I'm going to probably butcher your last name, Dylan Ambrosini, I think is how you say his last name. I can never remember. Sorry, Dylan. Um, he, uh, Dylan moved over into Sam's shop to work with him. So, uh, Sam and his two other brothers, his two other brothers are woodworkers, uh, and do some really amazing fine furniture stuff. But uh, Sam and Dylan are going to be doing some cool stuff with the, the knife making thing. So you should follow both those guys. Dylan's Instagram is Dylan underscore A-M-B-R-O-S-I-N-I. And then uh, Sam Goldbrook is uh, the other one. That's pretty much just his name on Instagram, I believe. So can't wait to see what those guys are making and come up with. They did a collaboration knife uh, a few months ago. Turned out really cool. So nice. Yeah. As you can, we've kind of roundabout with we'll start the interview process. <laughs> uh, where did you grow up, Brent? So I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, lived there until I was 16 and then moved here to uh, Florida, Southwest Florida. So so what, what happened to make you guys move when you were 16? That's um, kind of like the end of sophomore year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it just really was my dad had a job change. And um, so moved from moved from there to here just for for his job. And, uh, you know, it was a great move. Super happy that we moved here. You know, like I said, I grew up there. My parents, you know, all my other extended family, they're all from southern Indiana. So we were we were not around family, extended family anyway. I mean, we saw them multiple times a year, but we didn't really have anything tying us to, to there, hmm. you know, obviously growing up there, you've got friends, but, uh, yeah. So I've been here longer than I, than I lived in Dallas. So I feel more Floridian than Texan sometimes, but, uh, the Texas still runs deep. So are you a Cowboys fan or, um, so I, am, but I'm not a huge sports fan. I uh, just okay. never got bit by, the sports bug. I played, I played soccer and baseball and football all growing up, but I never really took to it and followed, but definitely growing up was the heyday of Dallas with uh, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, that whole crew, um, multiple Super Bowl back to back. So yeah, I mean, if I root for a fan for a team, it's the Cowboys and it's, and especially, so my wife, um, her family, uh, part of her on her mother's side, 
they're from Philadelphia. So they're big Eagles fans and even her, her father and her brothers. So I tend to root for Dallas and against the Eagles all the time. Cause they were always big rivals just to irritate yeah. my in-laws, which is great. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the Eagles and I have no idea how this actually happened. One of my boys is a huge Eagles fan. Okay. I have no idea how it happened. Like, I root for the Colts being from Indiana. Yeah. Uh, been a Colts fan for a long time when Jim Harbaugh was the earliest one I can remember. And uh, when he played for the Colts, when he got let go from the bears, <laughs> that's how great he was. <laughs> and uh, then, then we had a few years of terribleness with that. And then we got Peyton Manning and those first years with Peyton Manning were pretty rough, but turned out pretty good. So lots of, Lots of good years there for a while, but the Colts are, uh, I forget what podcast I was listening to. They were talking about, uh, the, their sports team has always let them down. And that, that's usually how I feel sometimes <laughs> with the Colts, but, uh, we were watching the, the Cowboys and, uh, Dolly Parton at the, the halftime show. She okay. was looking pretty good. And, pretty good uh, for her age. Then, uh, then my, my uncle goes, uh, you know, she's 77. And I was like, wow. <laughs> she definitely does not look 77. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I, I played football and stuff. And, uh, yeah, in like middle school, when I started playing football, that's when I started watching sports a whole bunch. My, my dad wasn't much of a sports person. My mom got into football because I loved it. And yeah, we watched a lot of the Colts games together and stuff. So, yeah, my dad was never a big sports fan. So that's probably part of the reason, you know, uh, and I take after him in the tinkering aspect of things. I'm always fiddling with something. And so I could never keep interest on sitting and, and watching or listening to a game. Yeah. My mom, though, she was a big baseball fan and she loves the Texas Rangers. Even to this day, she's still. Um, she loves baseball. I mean, I can remember growing up, she would have Texas Rangers on and basically fall asleep to it almost every night that they played. Yeah. So she would, it was actually on TV. Yeah. 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 Televising. One of the, one of my things that, uh, I've always loved is the Indianapolis 500. The, okay. The race. Yeah. That's like the, one of the only races I actually watch, but in Indiana, if it, if they don't sell out the stadium or the speedway, mm -hmm. uh, it's blacked out. So everywhere else gets to watch it, but we have to listen to it on the radio. So my whole growing up, if we didn't actually go to the race, hmm. we had to watch, listen to it on the radio. Wow. And, uh, for the hundredth, I think it was the hundredth one was the first time it ever sold out because the speedway holds like 500,000 people or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, there's a there's a really good picture of like how big the Indianapolis Speedway is. There's like four golf course holes inside the Speedway. Wow. Uh, with all the other stuff that's normally there, like you could fit like Vatican City, <laughs> uh, like Yankee Stadium, the White House and like a couple other things like in the infield. Wow. Because it's a two and a half mile oval. Uh, just until you actually like go there and see it, like it's, it's remarkable how big it is. Like, um, uh, for, we went to the Speedway Museum with my wife and 
part of the museum tour they like drive you around there like in a tour bus okay. and you're like off to the side because <laughs> of the banking and then you're just like man we've been driving for a while and we're not even down the front stretch so did you get did you go see those races often uh i remember going four times but it was i mean we we didn't have a ton of extra money uh and the the tickets were fairly expensive right um which also would seem to make it harder to sell out and then uh when i was in high school a couple times we talked about getting infield tickets because they're like fifty dollars and you like you don't actually have a seat you just like stand and uh my dad was like absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) so my my senior year uh one of my buddies and me we sprung for some tickets they were like 175 bucks which uh was big money for high school age we had to save up quite a long time for those yeah but i bet you uh i bet you'll never forget that time no it was really cool uh one of the other really cool things the speedway does is they let you bring a cooler in as long as there's no glass Mm -hmm. um so one of the times we went to the the brickyard brought a cooler i have like a 12 pack of beer we brought in with us so that was pretty cool but you're there for like four and a half hours or something like that so right but yeah fun times so back to the list what's the first knife you remember having growing up so the first knife i remember having is probably one of the most well sold knives ever which is the victorinox classic Okay. When I was a kid, I mean, I remember having that and using that to do all kinds of dumb stuff. I remember cutting, cutting the webbing of between my thumb and my pointer finger with it. <laughs> <laughs> so the classic, is that the scissors, that's, the really small blade and the yeah. fingernail? Yeah. That's the tiny little keychain one. Nice. Yeah. And then you always lose the toothpick and the. Yeah, tweezers. Toothpick and the tweezers would always go, but yeah, I remember having the little the the red classic. Um, that was that was definitely the knife that I remember having, just as a kid. And you know, other than the Buck One Ten knockoffs that I'm sure I had, you know, the flea market knockoffs. Um, yeah, but that was definitely the knife until I became an adult and started collecting knives. And uh, I think the first knife I got as an adult was the CRKT, um, was it the M16? Okay. The uh, Kit Carson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you go with the black? Oh, Most all, everybody had the blackout. All black. black. Yeah. All black with the serrations. Had to go all the way. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of my coworkers at Navistar, he had the, was it the, the leak ken onion leak yep he actually bought a new one and he goes man i didn't realize how many times i had snapped the tip off and like <laughs> reground it because <laughs> he would use it for uh, yeah because like, those, those little leaks those are like super pointy and they're fairly thin and and like narrow at the tip so yeah those things always took a beating yeah. but i mean they're like under 50 bucks so yeah no uh yeah, he's like, it's a tool. I'll buy another one. But yeah, it was like, it was like over an inch shorter. And I was like, couldn't you tell Al? Like, 
it like your handle is like so much bigger than the blade the every like every leak that i've seen that guys have used and used and used has either been the tip is broken off or it's been sharpened so much it's like uh like a hawk's bill almost Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they just kept dragging it through whatever sharpener that they had so yeah those were every every guy that has had a leak that's carried it forever those are the two things I've always seen on them. Yeah, before I actually knew what what uh, proper sharpening was, I bought one of the Benchmade like pull through yeah. carbide sharpeners that just like rips the steel off. Yeah. I was like, Ooh. like thinking back about it now, it's just like, man, I I actually pulled my my knife that I used a whole bunch out of it. I was like, and I apologize to it. I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I put you through that. It's funny. But, uh, it's funny with sharpeners. I was just talking with a buddy of mine the other day and we were talking about sharpeners and every time, you know, every time you collect something, which if you're a knife enthusiast and collector, which, you know, I've, you're the same way as I am. You got into knives from collecting and, and you, you enjoy them. So, but I remember whenever I started collecting knives, you know, you want to spend the money on the thing not the things to maintain the thing. Yeah. And so you just, you get in this pattern of buying, you know, you get $60, $100, $200, and you just keep buying the knives. And then your your sharpener progression goes up from the little pull through, like the bench made. And then mm-hmm. you get the, um, you know, you get a, like a field sharpener, the workshop field sharpener. And then you're, you know, you just work that progression until finally you you realize you're you've spent thousands of dollars on sharpeners as well as the <laughs> knives but it yeah. takes it's like that it's just like with collecting knives where you start collecting knives at the $20 knife from Walmart or wherever and then you work your way up same thing with sharpeners you you start off with the cheap one cuz you want to save that money so you can buy the next new shiny knife and then before you know it you you're dumping a thousand dollars on a sharpener i think everybody bought one of those uh smith diamond oh yeah plates ones that had the little little plasticky dots in there so they didn't have to put as many diamonds on there <laughs> so, yeah i should do that i should pull out all my sharpeners one day and just lay them out it's like the year's progression of sharpening <laughs> I don't even fun. know where some of them are. I still have my Benchmade carbide one, yeah. and I found the perfect use for it. Um, so I I put it in my vise when I'm using when I'm doing a bunch of work on my disc grinder. So I use a razor blade uh, box cutter to mm-hmm. cut the sandpaper around the outside, and uh, pulling it through the pull through that carbide pull through i'm able to use the blades for quite a long time before they stop cutting the sandpaper there you go it did have a use yeah it does so it's <laughs> it's not completely useless if you guys still have one and uh have a disc sander for yeah so what you're saying blades. is you suggest using that only on disposable blades <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because after a while then what happens is with the sandpaper there'll be a chip or there'll be be a pretty big chip yeah, and then on the pull through one, it'll like fall down into that chip, and then you just rip it, and uh, eventually it just, yeah, you can't even get it sharpened anymore. So then you had to flip it around. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, cool. Um, 
So where did you meet your wife and where does it fall on the Dan Kyle scale where Dan picked his wife up from his, from her grandmother's wake and I met my wife on eHarmony? Well, I'm going to say I fall on the way more wholesome side than either one of you. Yeah. <laughs> so I met my wife. So I moved here when I was 16 uh, she moved here with her family from, she grew up in, uh, upstate New York. And, okay. um, so we both moved here within a matter of months of each other. And we just so happened to go to the same school and we just so happened to go to the same church. And so we met each other kind of school, youth group, church, and, uh, in high school. So, uh, and then, you know, we dated for a little while and then we broke up and for a couple of years and did our thing. And then, you know, came back together and got married and the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. So fairly wholesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So how'd you get into wanting to make knives? Um, I got, in, I got into making knives from from the collecting side of it, I, I honestly had no desire to make knives. I, I, one of my best friends, he had went and taken a forging class, and he was kind of into that. And I used to make fun of him. I'm like, "Yep, nope, I'll keep collecting. I'm I'm good." It really came about from COVID, but not because I, you know, had a bunch of free time and uh, needed income or whatever. It it came from. Uh, not being able to travel to Blade Show and not being able to travel really at all. So that was the year there was no Blade Show, right? Yeah, that was the year there was no Blade Show. And so me and my buddies used to go every other year. We would go up to Blade Show. And that was the year we were supposed to go. We couldn't go. So I decided, you know, I'd been saving up money uh, for Blade Show. So I started searching for knife makers in Florida. And just to see who was out there. And I found a guy in my town that made fixed blade knives. Um, He was an older guy and I sent him an email and, you know, just said, Hey, I'd really like to come see your shop and come check out a couple knives and, you know, maybe buy a few. And uh, he was gracious and allowed me to go come to his shop at his house and pick his brain and, I bought a couple knives from him and I, again, going back to, I've always been a tinker and I've always messed with things and built and, you know, whatever. And when I left there, I remember thinking, man, that looks like fun. I think I'm going to, I want to try what, what would it look like for me to make a knife? So Mm -hmm. yeah, my first two knives were annealed old uh, Nicholson files and uh, that I, hand filed everything out on and then you know moved up to the you know the standard the one by 30 from harbor freight and just worked my way from there so who was the guy that was in your town so his name is gordon romies okay um and um he i still talk with him um he's a super nice guy and he does uh just really great clean work a lot of um, he has a few models that are his own. Um, the Florida Caper is is a smaller knife. Um, does really clean hollow grinds. Uh, really 
clean handle work and you know just this knife work all around is is super clean um and he does a lot of loveless style and some um uh double Thanks. guard fighters and that kind of stuff and uh yeah he's a he's a member of the knife makers guild he's i, I don't know he's been making knives since i think he said like the 70s he's been making knives um yeah late 70s early 80s so uh yeah he's that that was the guy that kind of introduced me to the fact that this could be done yeah yeah when when i kind of got into knife making i never even considered like i don't know why that uh like people just random people could make knives yeah it was like that was just companies that made knives and then uh I didn't even know about blade show or any of that stuff. And, um, one, uh, when one of my coworkers like told me about blade forums, it was just like, Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, uh, when I went to blade show the first time, Dan invited me up to Andy Roy's shop after and showed me the shop, showed me what he was working on. And I was just like, I'm like, I've always kind of wanted to have a machine shop at my house and I'm like, like table saw, drill press, belt yeah. sander, like all that stuff is stuff I'd want to have anyway. And yeah, yeah, it was pretty much bit from there. Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've always, um, went from, you know, I was a mechanic for years. So cars I've always tinkered with bicycles. I've always tinkered with, you know, I've, I've, done a little bit of woodworking done a dip my toes into leather work and woodwork and you know all all those little things and so um yeah i mean i have a shed in my backyard that i was i stored my my lawn equipment in and i had a little workbench out there no air conditioner just a little fan and some lights and um so yeah, I was like, well, I've got some space. So I decided to kind of turn that into my knife making area and it's a small shed. I still work out of it. It's a 10 by 11 shed. And when I first started, I had maybe, you know, I had bikes for, you know, the family's bikes and all the, the lawnmower and all that stuff was out there. And so I had maybe a third of that shed that I was using for knife making. Yeah. You had to like move everything outside when you were working out there? Or? Uh I left most of it in there and it just got covered in dust. Um <laughs> and I had it hanging from the rat, you know, the shed is a, it's not a manufactured shed. So it actually has a high ceiling to it. Okay. So you can hang stuff from the rafters. So I had bikes hanging from the rafters and and uh the lawnmowers underneath the bikes so I could uh use that and um yeah, did just snowball and bought a bought another little you know plastic storage shed for the side of the house so you know six by four shed to throw all the bikes in and the lawnmowers and all that kick all that stuff out of there and now that's uh the shed became the the knife making area so fully took it over yeah and then when you're on your journey you kind of had a a cool story for how you got your first, uh, big boy grinder. You want to yeah. share with the listeners? Yeah. About that? So, um, I got, again, I had that Harbor Freight one by 30 and, uh, anybody that's made knives, any knife makers out there, 
you know, that's you, you run through those one by thirties and then, you know, you can do it two by 48 and there's all, a couple different ways to go. And I, I got to the point where I knew I needed a bigger grinder. I needed something with a two inch wide belt and start pricing things out. And I knew I was done buying one by 30 belts. I needed to just step up into a two by 72 belt. That way, at least I'm getting all that. And so I bought um, the Grizzly Upright two by mm-hmm. 72 <clears throat> thinking, oh, well, this will be good for me. I'll, it's got the belt size. It's going to be great. Yeah, you got the buffer on the other side. Yeah, the thing is wider than it is deep and t- took up so much counter space that, you know, it was it was a, a bear to work around. So, um, which, funny story, I actually just... Not felt, to mention, goes super fast with the 3600 RPM with a 10-inch wheel. Yes. Uh, so, I actually, funny story, I just sold that today on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> Because it's been sitting in my garage unused. But so I got that two by 72. Uh, I think I used it for three or four months before I realized, okay, now I need something with a small wheel. I need something with a contact. I need something to do finger choils. And like, I just, I needed something I could change out the tooling arms. So I began the search for grinders. I knew I didn't want to fabricate my own. So this was, this was 20. Yeah. So this was one. Yeah. 21. It's a couple of years ago. Um, Yeah. It would have been 21. um, Late 20. Yeah. It was actually blade show 21 right before blade show 21. Um, Trying to think now. Maybe it was Blade Show 22. Anyway, I started, I, I knew I needed to get a grinder. I didn't want to fabricate my own, <clears throat> excuse me, because I wanted it to have compatibility with all those tooling arms. That was mm-hmm. the accessories, right? Yeah. That way I could buy accessories at my own pace. Mm-hmm. So I began the search, the deep dive on all the grinder companies knowing in a couple months I was going to go to blade show. Um, and it, I, I, the only grinder I had actually laid hands on before was at Gordon's shop. And that was an old reader grinder. Um, okay. so it was a single speed or maybe it was a baiter, a uh, single speed grinder, n- no frills. Uh, but I really had only just used it for one day just to kind of, he was showing me some handle work. Um, techniques. So I knew Blade Show is the place where I can lay my hands on every grinder and it'll help me make my decision. Um, so I went online, started researching so I could, if anybody that's been to Blade Show before, you've probably done this, you've researched knife makers that you want to see, that you want to check out their knives. I did the same thing with grinders. So I grabbed the map of Blade Show and I just started mapping out where all these grinder companies were. Yeah. If you've never been to blade show, that's definitely the move is to highlight the tables that you want to go to. Cause if you go in with no plan, just like, even when you have a plan, you're like, yeah. oh, I missed this person. I missed that person. 
Yeah, I tell people it's like the third year is when you don't feel so frazzled uh, <laughs> that that you kind actually of. can like game plan. Uh, and yeah, so highlight and get your phone and make a note of all the tables and those knife makers um, that you want to see is definitely the move. So in searching for grinders, I found a DIY kit, meaning it wasn't a DIY where you have to do everything yourself if you don't want to. Uh, I found housemade.us, uh, Brian House, and he had weld together kits. That you could purchase the whole, you could purchase plans and you could cut your own out or you could purchase the kit from him and all you have to do is weld it together. And he had all the links for the motor, the VFD, all the parts that you would need. And I thought it was interesting. And that was one that I kept looking back and I looked and I'm like, oh, he's not going to be a blade show. You know, he didn't, he wasn't on the exhibitor list. And, and then the more I, I looked, I I don't remember how I stumbled on it, but I looked and I was like, oh, he lives in the next city over from me. He lives like 30 minutes away from me. That's where his shop is. So I emailed him, told him what I was doing, said, hey, I'm going to Blade Show next month, looking at getting grinders, want to put my hands on every grinder. I realized you're local. Can I come by and see the grinder? And that way I can make an informed decision. And of course... Leading up to Blade Show, he's like, well, I'm going to Blade Show this year. I'm super busy right now. I really don't have time to take anybody in the shop. Because uh, at that time, he was doing the grinders. And he, he was doing housemade.us. And he was running a computer shop that he owned. Uh, so he was busy. Uh, but he said, hey, at Blade Show, let's connect. Let's get together. And we'll talk. And so we did at Blade Show. We talked, spent couple hours together um i did the rounds looked at grinders and um you know he said listen at blade show he said listen if you want a grinder we'll work something out when you get back you can buy a grinder you can come to the shop we'll weld it together uh we'll we'll build it together so that's uh that's what we wound up doing hung out a little bit got to know each other and um you know i was uh at that point was whenever I knew knife making was what I wanted to do. Uh, again, I was a mechanic. I was a shop foreman, uh, a small independent repair shop. I had done that for 20 years at the time, and I was over it. I was, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to make knives. So I got after it, started making knives, doing the side hustle with the intent of uh, being a full-time knife maker. And, um, just really heads down. I'd wake up before work, a couple hours, do a little bit of work, go into the shop, work all day, and then come home and work until 10 o'clock midnight and, uh, just wash, rinse and repeat. And, uh, I got to the point where, um, I was doing gun shows and, uh, doing online sales and, um, was about I, I worked my way down to I was doing uh, four days a week at the shop, uh, at the automotive shop, and uh, with the I was really looking at pretty soon being able to to quit that and do knife making full time. And I had still been hanging out with Brian. We would go over. I'd go over to Housemade, and we'd spend hours 
making stuff and building things and on the weekend and at night. And uh, it was just the the right opportunity. And we got along great. And uh, yeah. we had become good friends over that couple years. And uh, it was an easy transition where he offered me a job there and because uh, they needed some extra help. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, uh, so now it's I've been going going on working there for a little over a year now. Um, so yeah, it's been great. And I still do the knives and he helps me out with that. Um, being able to move some of my, some of my stuff to in-house machining, not all my knives, but doing some of that process. And, uh, again, it's really cool to be able to have uh, a friend to work with and then bounce ideas off of. And then, um, I, I'm, I'm there at housemade helping, with housemaid and grinders and grinder parts. And then we're also there to, he's there to help me with knives, which is really, really fun. Leading up to blade show, you know, mm. it's a uh, mad dash and we all want to, I, I, I can't pull hair out. So I just lose my <laughs> mind. Um, yeah. And yeah, the months leading up to blade show, I was super stressed and, and uh, it's really cool to, again, being able to work with friends because he recognized my stress and, and uh, he just put, he literally stopped me one day and he goes, Hey, you're stressed. Employ me. What can I do for bald man knife and tool to help you? Give me a task. I want to be there. I want you to employ me and implement me in your process to relieve that burden from you, which is yeah. man killer. Yeah, that was really cool. That was when he was like sharpening a whole bunch of blades for you. I think he was, yeah, did some content on. Yeah, I was like, well, here's uh, 20 Magna Cut blades that need sharpened. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, nice. uh, but, but yeah, I mean, ultimately there was, he, he helped me with more than just sharpening, which is great. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention something back a little bit. I think anybody with like a manufacturing, tinkering background, once they see a two by 72 and like all the different attachments, if you can't get excited about wanting to have one of those, right? especially if you really like doing that stuff in your shop. Like when I saw my first two by 72 with the arms and stuff, I was just like, you can do so much with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, cool. and it's funny because it even took me a minute. Once I, once I had the revolution two by 72, it took me a minute to buy like a small wheel. It took me a minute to buy a contact wheel and tooling arm because I was so used to just making work what I had. Mm -hmm. But then like, once you buy, I think the first accessory I bought was the small wheel attachment. And once you buy that and you use it, your, your, your mind is blown at, at the versatility of that that machine mm -hmm. and you know i'm i'm partial to the machine but at the same time no matter what machine you have if it has that interchangeability of parts the, your machine just became super valuable and you know mm -hmm. even once you get those attachments then the next thing you do is go eh, it's kind of a pain to change all these i need another grinder that's dedicated <laughs> to a small yeah. wheel or to a surface grinder or whatever mm -hmm. it is yeah, when when I knew that I was going to be coming full time, I knew I had to get a second second yeah. machine 
Um, and where, where it's the most valuable for me is doing handles. So I'll have, uh, the small wheel and like my other, my older machine. And, uh, I'll use the, like a big contact wheel or, um, my slack belt mm-hmm. and just go back and forth between the small wheel and the, the slack belt or the contact wheel. But yeah, what I, when I was first getting my like accessories, um, I knew I wanted to get a wheel for doing the, like my Coke bottle shape handles mm-hmm. and, uh, man, I engineered <laughs> and obsessed about, if I should get an eight inch or a 10 inch wheel for probably. <laughs> it's funny the things months. that we obsess about, right? Yeah. But I mean, it was like, and at the time it was like 250 bucks. Yeah. And then the 10 inch wheel one was, was like 300 and something. I'm like, man, so much money. Yeah. So it was like trying to make sure. And then I ended up buying my first wheel from Umont and I like talked, like called and talked to him. He's like, the eight inch wheel is the one we sell the most of. And I was like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just like, then send me an eight inch wheel. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, now I have, I don't know, probably one of you, 10, <laughs> 10 tooling arms with all sorts of different things on them. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. The, uh, how much versatility they have. They're kind of like a Swiss army knife. You can, unbolt something and then put another one on and you have so much functionality. Yep. And it, and it doesn't like suck at all those things either. Yeah. Like it's still really good machine with all those things. Um, so, so what, what was it like? Um, you mentioned working on some projects and stuff with Brian. Uh, one of those projects was the, the true tilt table. Uh, yeah. what was it like going through? Do you want to talk about some of the, design process of that for for people kind of doing some projects or something yeah yeah no um so doing the doing the design of any any tool or any part you know it's really helpful being able to collaborate with somebody um and brainstorm um because we can because we're together and at that point we weren't together every day working uh but still we would see each other in person a couple times a week and so we could work out any details rapidly um, together. And so it's really interesting, you know, so I, I had seen some there, it's not a new concept having uh, a table like the true tilt to grind bevels on as an assisted bevel grinding, where you're still getting your hand feel, you're still you're not having what I really wanted out of it. And what drew me to it was I had seen some guys that had made these tables for themselves, uh, one-offs to fit their grinders. Uh, there's one guy that, um, uh, Selby knives. He, he made one for a grinder that he actually has the grinder facing up almost like a table. So he's sitting in a chair and that was the first time I had seen it. And he custom made this for himself. And I thought, man, that takes so much um, opportunity for error out of the picture, uh, because you're not, you're only dealing with one axis of rotation. Uh, mm-hmm. you're not having to really fiddle with it too much. And, you know, I could do hand grinds, you know, full flat and I can do sabers by hand, but they, you know, for anyone, even somebody experienced, they take a lot of time. 
and where my mind was always focused was higher volume production. Again, coming from a, a collecting production folders and production fixed blades, I always thought in those terms. Um, okay. I, I appreciate handmade things just like everybody else does. I, I appreciate all that. And I love the handmade um, aesthetic. Um, but for my knife making, I knew my one of my goals was to have uh, as as rapid of production as I could, giving that handmade quality and attention to detail. And, and I saw that as um, affording me that ability. So I talked to Brian. And I said, man, here's this grinder setup that I've seen. I want to make something to anybody can put on a 2x72 belt grinder and, and grind this way. And so we began to talk about it. We made a bunch of iterations, you know, widened it, lengthened it, um, did the cutout different depths, and we made it work for the revolution uh, with the existing tooling arm, but also to where guys could weld it up to their their grinder potentially. You know, we, we weren't able to test that right away, but we sent some out to guys that had different brand grinders. Uh, to let them play with it. And we figured out the setup, made it work, and it works great. Again, it's not a revolutionary idea, but we wanted to make that accessible for everybody. And and I think we accomplished that goal. And man, um, it really, uh, it upped my production on my knives um, exponentially. Yeah, especially on your thick, uh, yeah. thicker steel knives. Um it's rigid enough that you can really get some good feel on there. And especially if you don't do all the way up to the, the spine, you yeah. still have some, some, uh, yeah. support there. Yeah. I've always, you know, guys always ask, you know, can you do chef knives and can you do this? And like, you can, but it takes a lot of finesse and, and a lot of, you know, just like hand grinding a, a super thin, like a fillet knife or a thin chef knife. Um, it takes a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that doesn't, you know, using the, the true tilt doesn't mean you're not having to pay attention and you're not having to finesse things. It's just mm-hmm. a different feel. And, um, but it really does shine on, I, I always tell guys eighth inch thick or thicker and doing saber grinds is where that work rest shines saber grinds eighth inch or thicker i i do 330 seconds actually on my mini albatross or even some scandy grind stuff i think was yeah even if even if it's thinner like a scandy grind i think is really good for that right um and yeah so the so the first prototype we did of it i brought it home you know we made one at housemade and welded it up and i brought it home and I grabbed my thicker clippers. I had half a dozen of them. And Brian, you know, he's like, yeah, take it home, grind. Let me know what you think if we need to make any changes. So I actually, I ground one out and it went so fast. I was like blown away. So I set up uh, my phone and I set up my tablet with the timer next to me grinding. And I ground out five thicker clippers, the bevels and the swedges. And less than 40 minutes and i sent him that video and he was like oh man 
he was like he couldn't believe it he's like yep you're you're right we're on we gotta we gotta do this and uh that's really the whole point of that that system so it's back to your question of like how is it prototyping and working with somebody else it's really cool because we're able to rapidly uh uh work out any details and any any flaws and there are things that when you're by yourself you you overlook mm-hmm. but when you get somebody else you know we we do really well questioning each other and and sometimes we're like we have to throw that like hey i'm i'm not saying i don't like this i'm just i'm yeah. my brain's going and and i'm just questioning and mm-hmm. you know i like this idea yeah. Because we do that, we come up with ideas and we talk about them, and we'll question each other on it. Don't you think you should change this? Don't you think you should change that? And um, and by the end of it, we've got a product that we're really happy with. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah, sometimes like um, when we were doing testing at Navistar, um, we were trying to think about how to hold this big uh, apparatus, and then. Uh, what one of my coworkers was like, what if we took this angle plate, flipped it over and bolted it like this? Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's a really good idea. <laughs> and then we, we started doing it that way for a whole bunch of other tests and stuff. Like hadn't even thought about fixturing it that way. And it worked out really well. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about like, so with the true tilt, one of the things was we had modeled it in the traditional setup uh, where you have your, your D plate, tooling arm on the top top receiver and then you have your work rest on the bottom receiver and for whatever reason we i don't i don't remember if it was i think it was probably him and one of us had said like hey what if we swap those because we weren't able to get the depth that we wanted out of the table and it worked out to where that was the answer was just swapping those tooling arms Mm-hmm. gives gave us that depth we needed out of it and that was the solution just like you said uh, it's just one little thought that if just myself was working on that would have either never thought of it or it may have taken months to think of that change um but with two people there you're you're able to kind of just rapid fire through those things yeah that's one of the great things about having like your tooling arms in line like that mm-hmm. Um, being able to move your, put your wheel and stuff up a little bit. Yeah. Um, like my contact wheel, I usually put it in my lower, mm-hmm. uh, spot so I can, uh, twist and look at the handle a little bit easier than having it farther up. Yeah. Sometimes I do that for my small wheel, um, to get that tighter radius on the bottom. Okay. If you move it to that bottom slot, I don't, you know, it's, I just have the one idler wheel up top. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes I'll move my small wheel to that lower receiver and you get a really tight radius on okay. that. Whereas before you may have contacted the belt in just the wrong spot. So, yeah, being able to have multiple receivers is super helpful. So Dan always likes to ask, how have you grown your brand? Uh, you talked about it a little bit uh, when you were. Uh, making a bunch of knives. One of the things that I think really helped you grow your bald man knife and tool brand was you start going to those gun shows that were local to you. 
Yeah, it definitely did. And to be honest, um, and I, I've told you this before, I have you and Dan and um, um, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, there was an interview you did with um, LT Wright. LT Wright, thank you. I don't know why it just slipped. Uh, where he was talking about just that of going to shows, yeah, uh, gun shows, knife shows, art shows, whatever it is. Yeah, one of the things that was crazy about that was like LT said that he went to a couple shows where he had to sell so many knives or he didn't have money to get back home. Like, I can't yeah. even imagine, but. Yeah, I mean, but shoot, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and so that I had put off up until that point, I had put off doing gun shows um, and doing, you know, doing any of those. And after hearing LT say, like, you got to do them, do every show you can. Like if, you know, it's that, do you want to make knives or be a knife maker? Like, what? <laughs> Which one is it? And I knew I wanted to be a knife maker. And um, I, I think we all have in our minds the the idea that we should just be able to hop online and sell everything online retail. But the reality is there's no better sales than being in person and having somebody touch the thing. That's why we go to Blade Show, mm -hmm. because we can touch the thing, especially whenever it's a higher higher dollar purchase you want to be able to see it in person mm -hmm. a lot of times um so yeah i uh shortly after i signed up for my first gun show and it went great and i signed up for more and more and more and um so where at one point uh before i came on at housemade i was doing three gun shows a weekend sometimes four um, you know, I think at one point I was, I think I did like six weeks in a row wow. of working, working 40 hours a week, coming home, making knives, and then being gone all weekend. Uh, you know, leaving on Friday afternoon, right after the day job, driving three hours to a different city. And then not coming back until Sunday night at nine or ten o'clock at night. So yeah, it was a it was a hustle, it was a grind, and but it it paid off in dividends. Uh, where if if I wasn't in the knife making industry working at Housemade, that would have been I would still and I still do gun shows, just not at that pace because uh, it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. um, for where I'm at right now. Uh, but definitely I was, I, I was really close to going full-time knife maker doing just doing weekend shows. Nice. Yeah. The, you've talked about it quite a few times and I've been, been thinking about trying to do some of those around here, but uh, I've always kind of wondered my kitchen knives, if those would be doing extremely well, but there's a lot of, a lot of wives and stuff that go with their, their husbands to gun shows. So. Yeah. You'd be surprised. There's guys there that sell at the gun shows I go to there, you know, they definitely have a mix, but I think, you know, with your catalog of knives, you have a good mix as well um, that you can bring. And, you know, I've sold quite a few, I haven't made kitchen knives in quite a while, 
But when I did make them, like I, I sold quite a few and really were at the gun shows. But I also, uh, I would do, um, I, we've got a local brewery that did like art, craft, whatever, maker's market. Uh, I did those. I sold, man, I would sell, I sold a lot of knives at those. I uh, didn't like doing them just because the, I really had to watch my table a lot because <laughs> when people are there, they've got their kids running around because there's always food trucks. And, and so I, you really have to eagle eye your table when you're at those. Um, yeah. Cause you definitely don't want little kids, you know, people aren't expecting somebody to have knives on their table. And I, I get that. I don't fault them for that. Uh, they're expecting jewelry and soaps and <laughs> popcorn and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I stopped doing those just for that, but man, I, yeah, like the craft shows and art shows. I don't know how it is up where you're at, but down here, uh, you're talking about, you know, culinary knives might not sell as well at the gun shows, but at the same venues that they do the gun shows, they have like the craft fairs that, you know, yeah. my wife used to go to those a lot. And, uh, and I, I bet that would be a great place yeah, to go. I need to try to get more plugged in with that. Um, I know there's a bunch of art shows and stuff downtown Chicago during the summer. Um, and I've heard of uh, some guys making kit knives that sell them for three or $400. Uh, the, buying the blank and throwing a handle on Yeah. It. So... Yeah, there's those guys at the gun shows, too. Yeah, it just blows <laughs> me away. And then, yeah, I'm with a couple of guys in, or knife makers in Chicago, like a group chat, and one of them got one that the customer brought it, and he's like, I just bought this, can, or, uh, can you sharpen it? And he's like, like, was pretty dull, like, from the, the maker. And then he's like, <laughs> there's a big crack in this blade, like... And the guy was like, oh, I didn't uh, even see that. <laughs> He's like, I, I'd really rather not touch this at all. You need to yeah. contact the guy you bought it from. Yeah, that's rough. So, yeah, the uh, the shows definitely help build build the brand uh, and, and uh, you know, fund fund the knife making and, and fund, you know, being able to do that as a full-time gig was, was really not out of the question. Yeah. Um, and then you've kind of done a non-traditional thing with Reddit. You were doing that for a while. Is that something you still? Yeah, I I don't do Reddit a whole. I've really backed off of a lot of. I, there was a, a couple months back. Um, I really backed off of all social media for for a minute. Um, just kind of got burned out on posting all the time, and and uh, you know, not the best thing to do for a brand. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah, lots of people think like you just do one post a day and it's like, yeah, but yeah. When you, I, I feel like I want to bring something new. I don't want to just keep posting the same, like, all right, I'm working on handles today. And then like, I want to try to show something new. Um, yeah, that's, I went through that. That's, that's why I, I didn't post that much for a while. Uh, it was because I was definitely feeling that, but the reality is, um, that's not the case. Um, yeah, the same couple people might see every one of your posts. Um, 
but you know, in, in retail sales in general, what's there's like a rule. It's like seven or nine touches before somebody pulls the trigger on something Mm -hmm. or even maybe clicks a link, not even pulls the trigger, but clicks the link to check it out. Um, you know, so you got to really think, you know, you got to hit somebody, uh, at least a handful of times before they're even interested a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it can be daunting to say the least to, to post multiple times a day on multiple social media platforms or whatever. But yeah, I, I did Reddit. I haven't done it in a while because Reddit is, it is a, a community. You, you don't, I, I feel like you don't want to hammer them too hard or else you will suffer some possible uh, repercussions of getting banned. I've gotten banned from groups for, I was, I never did overly salesy posts, um, but I don't, I never really did salesy posts ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trick for me with Reddit was to post a picture of the knife or of two knives, you know, a Tanto and a drop point and which knife would you carry or not even post a website, not even post these are for sale or I made these. Um, but do something to get people interacting with mm-hmm. it was always my uh, my thought with Reddit. And yeah, I've gained uh, some customers from there for sure. That was, that's worthwhile. Yeah. But I also posted on some of those groups, those same exact posts, and I would immediately get deleted and banned for selling things. So Yeah. It's interesting. Or I've always found the Reddit community really interesting. Like some of the stuff that they, create and find like um like dig up oh i never said that and like oh yeah well here's a video of you saying that or like different (laughs) things like that it's like crazy uh some of those threads but yeah it's not a place that i never really thought about trying to utilize like facebook and instagram were kind of more obvious choices one of the things that Mm -hmm. i recently with the all the stuff that's been going on with instagram i'm like i i really need to like get my email list like figured out and uh, i signed up for my mailchimp uh account and uh like two weeks ago i got a email that said uh you haven't logged into your mailchimp account for over two years um (laughs) we're gonna delete it in 30 days if you don't log back in it's like Oh my God. Uh, so apparently I've been putting this off for a lot longer than I thought. And, um, yeah, yeah like this past week, um, yeah, this past week I was like, uh, all right, I'm just going to do it. So I like took, I exported like my order list from WooCommerce of all the people that ordered stuff from me. And I just sent out a like black Friday sales post, uh, thing and had a few people unsubscribe, but, um, like there was yeah. like i think 70 something percent of the people it was like four, went out to 470 people i think it was uh okay. and like 70 percent of them opened the the email so um yeah, that's, that's uh with a bunch of the stuff that's happened with instagram and uh what are probably going to eventually happen with all the social media is like trying to have some stuff that you own i think is really right uh, going to be really big to 
to reach out to those customers to talk with them. Yeah, I've worked at uh, the last couple of years building, you know, building my my email list. Uh, I I I knew early on um, I needed a website. That way, it was mine. It was my domain. It, I could control that. Um, and it, it took me a minute to really build up an email list and start doing emails. I, I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be like, and. Um, so, but, you know, I don't use MailChimp. I use the the server within my web domain. Um, they have a mail server, an email service. Okay. So I use that and I, I have it so people sign up on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, every once in a while I get unsubscribed um, or I've gotten spam, which I think is funny because you, you signed up for it. Why did you? market as spam like you you literally had to click the button enter your email and hit submit uh but uh so i always i think it's funny i i think out of the last three emails i've sent uh i've gotten like two uh spam (laughs) spam clicks uh but yeah through those email lists i sell knives Every time I send out an email, I sell knives Um, and, and I can send out. So within my, my um, website, whenever I do email campaigns, I get those analytics. Mm -hmm. So of my open rate, click through rate. And then there's also an option for anybody that didn't open that first email. I can resend them that email with a different heading and I've done that a couple of times and it, it works out great. Yeah. Um, yeah. My website now has the thing where they can click and sign up for it and stuff, but I just figured anybody that ordered something from me before yeah. probably okay with getting an email. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I do that every once in a while, maybe every couple months where instead of just subscribers, I'll hit it to all the contacts mm. and uh, just, see what happens um so i do that every once in a while too yeah uh figure you know what's it gonna hurt yeah but i i wanted to make sure i at least if they're figuring it out so i'm gonna try to do like maybe one or two emails a a month Uh, like i i get frustrated myself when some email i get Harbor Freight, Grizzly, name them, name them. <laughs> Let's call them out two times a day, yeah. three times Especially a day. Especially <laughs> during a sale. Uh, if you go to Harbor Freight and like buy, buy something and you automatically always get like a 25% off coupon, 20, 25% yeah. off coupon later. It's like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how Harbor Freight can do it. Like their, their stuff <laughs> is so, so inexpensive for the, for the, product that you're getting and then to do a 25% off coupon on top of that, unless they're just like counting on you buying four or five other things while you're there. Like it just blows my mind. Like some company it's like with the, with COVID and the lockdown and everything, like there were companies that I thought were untouchable that like got crushed. And then companies that I'm like, I don't even understand how you're how you made it before the pandemic that like came out like crazy. So I don't know. It's weird. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely, but it's interesting when you get into that, you have to pay attention to what those companies are doing because on some level it translates and it trickles down to like how we can market our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's obviously a different scale and, and you do want to be a little um, more sensitive on not hammering away on emails multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know, you can implement it. It's, it's interesting to, to look at that, you know, and see how you can implement those things. Yeah. You know, even you listen to Brian talk and he always says it, half of your job is making half of your job is selling. Yeah. And man, we are, I, I've heard Dan say it before too, of like, yeah, I started making knives because I wanted to be alone in my garage or in my shed or my workshop. And I fully relate to that. Uh, when I first started making knives, I thought I'll do an Instagram page. I'll never show a picture of my face. I'll just always show the product <laughs> and I'll be like incognito. And then before you know it, I'm the guy that's uh, got making a goofy face yelling yo at you <laughs> uh, because people, people buy the person, mm-hmm. you know, is as uh, stupid and bald as you might be, they buy into yeah. you. Yeah, that's one of the <laughs> things I try to put in every every order that goes out of my shop. I try to put in a note somewhere uh, that's handwritten that says, like, thank you for the support, uh, yeah. like Kyle or whatever. And I, I feel like that is a is a very quick way to, like, show them how much their order means like yeah um you see a bunch of like memes and stuff like um instead of buying stuff from amazon where nobody's gonna actually see your money like if you buy a 50 dollar thing from somebody like you or me like whenever the little like woocommerce like cash register bings goes off for when i get a order oh, i'm yeah. like smiling and i instantly check it um it's just so yeah i, I blown away people have supported me the way they have it's been great when i i did some of the i was kind of on the fence if i should do a black friday sale or whatnot and i just decided to go for it and um yeah when i was gone uh thursday friday saturday i got like 20 25 orders so i spent like almost all day monday like packing orders and making uh there were some things that i didn't didn't quite have enough of that people back ordered and so i was making uh some of those little pins that i use with the handles on there been making a bunch of those mm-hmm. and things like that that people have been ordering with it so been awesome yeah that's awesome um so yeah with uh so with black friday uh with sales in general um you know, I think that's that's something that not a lot of people th- I didn't think about for a while whenever I first started making uh, was pricing. Um, you know, you have to figure in not just sales, like running the ability to put something on sale and not go broke. Yeah. Um, there's like business sense that, you know, it's it's hard to think that way sometimes be but. You've got to think that. And it really hit me the first, I had never really thought of that. I worked my pricing out whenever I, I started selling knives on like 
well, what's my labor? What's my, you know, what are the materials costs? And I would price the knives based on that. And, and I realized when I went to Blade Show and exhibited the first year and I had um, River's Edge Cutlery came and they wanted to buy like 10 knives at wholesale. And I had not figured out wholesale pricing mm-hmm. or what that would look like. Do, you know, does that mean I need to raise my prices across the board? Does that mean I need to take a little bit of a dis, like a little bit of a pay cut to sell a larger volume? Like I hadn't worked that out myself. Mm-hmm. And so when they came to me and wanted to buy at wholesale, man, I felt like I was getting like screwed <laughs> because I, right. Yeah. Like, cause you've, you've, you haven't thought that way. And when in reality, uh, you know, it, that wasn't the case. Um, it was just something that never crossed my mind. And, and I, whenever you mentioned black Friday and because the first, you know, I used to run sales when I first started making for black Friday and, you know, the other times I would, I would come up labor day or whatever, it, different holidays. I would come up with a sale, but I always felt like I kind of don't want people to buy right now yeah, because I'm not going to make any money. Yeah. But it took me not necessarily raising my prices, but it took me really working on what what is my hourly rate mm-hmm. and and uh, and what are my costs? What you know? What do I have into the knives? Well, you can probably um, make a lot more knives for the same amount of time now than you did when you first started. I, I lots of people. Well, yeah, I've gotten. I've gotten better. I'm faster at it. Um, but, but really I wasn't figuring out costs correctly is what it came down to. Um, and not, not fully, but, um, I, you know, I didn't really spreadsheet costs out and I didn't figure out those, those pricing metrics. And once I did, man, it's, it doesn't hurt when I run a sale and it doesn't hurt, you know, yeah, I'm taking the reality is I'm taking less money but it there's still a profit margin in there that I'm I'm good with like mm-hmm. I I accept and I'm happy with yeah yeah that was um one of the things when I had did some of my first dealer sales yeah it hurts to to lose that 30% but um when I did some of my first dealer runs I'm like uh I talked to him for 20 minutes and I'm making 30 knives Right. If I if I had to work with thirty different customers like I did before, I lots of my custom orders, uh, if I'm lucky, I spend like thirty minutes going back and forth on emails with what handles do you want? Right. Inevitably they're like I have way too many options. Uh so I try to like I know some of the things to try to whittle that down, but it's not uncommon to go back and forth five or six emails with right. somebody that that's all time that doesn't get, you're not getting paid for. Um, so, uh, makes it a lot easier. You can buy a 12 right. by 12 sheet of material and instead of having to order a whole bunch of stuff from a whole bunch of different places for one handle set. Yeah. You order a bunch of the same steel, you order a bunch of the same handle material. Um, and, and, um, on top of that, if you're like me, I don't really do custom work. I don't, I don't even really offer that. 
short of like you want to you want a certain handle material on your knife or maybe instead of you know on a mini albatross or instead of a full flat grind you want a saber grind you know something like that short of that like i i do not like doing custom orders hit whenever i get custom orders and i have deadlines that that are hanging over my head i get I, it makes me gives me way too much anxiety and because I, I put all that pressure on myself and part of it's you know my personality part of it's working in the repair industry for years where you got customers when's it done when's it done when's it done yeah that part of the reason i wanted to make knives was to not have to deal with that <laughs> um and so yeah early on i would do custom orders but man i would feel that like that weight and um, so for, for you being able to do custom orders and, and, you know, you enjoy doing that and working with the customer, uh, you know, for me, man, I wanted my business model to be like, man, I, I made it and it is what it is. And maybe I'm going to have to sit on it a little longer. Uh, you know, I just accept that's what that means. Most of the time is. I made what I wanted and I'm going to have to sit on it until the right person comes along. But, um, yeah. And with having a email list and stuff like that, being able to get products out that here's, here's the available knives and stuff like that is like really invaluable. Um, yeah, especially with, and you got the email list and if you're doing spreadsheets, not just for like your cost, you do spreadsheets for every knife that you sell you learn really quick what sells well and what doesn't yeah. and you make more of those mm-hmm. and less of the ones that you sit on for a yeah. while. Yeah. One of the, one of the handle materials that I I'm always surprised that it's the first one that always sells out is that uh red fire hose burlap. Uh, Why are you surprised? On my pocket bush crafters. I, I always think the Westinghouse canvas is going to sell faster than that and the the red fire hose sells out like almost instantaneously on knife center like it it blows yeah, me away it's, it's unique but the the bush crafter the four inch one there's still one one lingering one with the red burlap that's been on their site for like i don't know a month and a half now so well, maybe we let me get my phone let's <laughs> fix that <laughs> but it's like like why does that sell so well on the pocket bushcrafter but sold slower on the bushcrafter it it didn't make sense i I bet it's i bet it has something to do with the edc market because the edc guys are buying the pocket bushcrafter maybe and edc guys will lean more into uh flare if for lack of better terms i bet that's why yeah i had to i had to redo how i shaped my handles to help make that handle material work because um the like when i was talking to dan and natasha atlas they were saying that that coarse weave um the company that makes it uh i think it's ultrex um they had to redo some of their processing to get the how coarse that weave is to get their it to penetrate and fill um so i had to like change i had to go i go higher on my 
uh, slack belt and stuff on my grinder before I go to hand sanding. Otherwise I'm hand sanding for so much longer. Interesting. Yeah. I love those with my contoured handles. I love those one inch scallop belts. They've, they save me so much hand sanding time. I know yours are a little bit different with the, the more angular facets and stuff, but being able to blend all that stuff, uh, with the slack belt is so, so helpful. Yeah. Anytime I, uh, early on, whenever I was doing a lot of curves and kind of like giving more of that hourglass Coke bottle feel. Yeah. Those scallop, those one inch scallop belts. Those are, those are great. I still have some hanging around for projects here and Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. I love them. The, I ended up, I used when I first started using them, the 400 grip ones, um, they just seemed to like, wear out or pack in so quickly that I felt like I wasn't getting much use out of them. So I pretty much just used 220 grit ones. Um, Mm -hmm. But with that red fire hose, I was having to do 400 grit on the, with that scallop belt. Uh, Otherwise it would, it would take me at least 15 or 20 minutes longer hand sanding. And my doing 12 of those, my hands are tired. <laughs> Every time I'm like, you know, you know what you don't want to use scallop belts for, Kyle. What's that? I learned, I learned early in my knife making days, and um, I should have known better. Is you don't want to use those to help you do um, bevel transitions mm. to smooth that out because those scallops like to catch the edge of your blade, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll cut, and then they slap you in the head. Yeah, and it's not fun. That's <laughs> yeah, not good when you're bald. That's one of those, like, as soon as I did it, I was like, yeah, I should have known this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There've been, been a couple of times where I've had belts break. Luckily I haven't had too many of them break, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always scary when that, when that happens. I just had one break. It was a one twenty grit ceramic belt. I, uh, it was a uh, yeah i won't say the brand because it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um because it wasn't the brand's fault um you know i i like to grind my handles wet uh to keep dust down okay. and to keep burning down on some of the materials so i use my mister and i spray it so i was grinding with a wet belt and all of a sudden it popped and that's the first belt i've had pop since that scallop belt that i cut yeah because i was using it incorrectly yeah um, this is only the second belt that's ever broke on me. I was, but yeah, it took me a second, but because it was a ceramic belt and it popped, it just popped and fell mm-hmm. and that was it. it didn't go flying. Yeah. That always amazed me with the, the belts and stuff. Um, Todd Begg talked about it a little bit on the Mark of the Maker podcast when he was first getting into knife making, he would go to knife maker mm-hmm. meetups and stuff and they would talk about how they would buy they're abrasive on the two two inch wide shop rolls and how they would mm. cut and tape their belts together and make <laughs> like make their belts. Like I can't even oh imagine back then, like, um, and then you go like to blade show, uh, and look at some of like the really old, uh, or the older collector guys that have knives from the the fifties and sixties and stuff. And it's like, how did they even do this? Like perfect right. mirror polishes and stuff like that. And 
makes me feel like a yeah. wuss that I'm like complaining about hand sanding <laughs> or whatever now, but well, yeah, it is magna cut your hand sanding yeah. and it's eight inch long blades <laughs> with two inch heels. You are a glutton for punishment, yeah. Kyle. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to <laughs> do an, another eight inch S ground one. Um, one of my, one of my customers, he ordered, ordered a S ground one in magna cut and, uh, I had one that I had done because I usually, if I do one, I usually do two just in case, especially if it's an order, I'll put one on the, on the shelf. And, uh, it was Celtic file work on the, the spine. And I was like, I think he's going to want Thorn to match all of his other <laughs> knives. And was like, do you want to go with Celtic or you want to go with Thorn? He's like, I'd really prefer Thorn. I was like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I ask. So, uh, yeah. so I still have that one horrible. on the shelf. So I'll, that one might get made for Chris or for Blade Show next year or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, Blade Show's coming quick, Kyle. Yeah, it, it's the same time every year, and I'm always ill prepared. So, dude, it's it's like the months leading up to that are the worst for me. I have May is like the busy it's all since since I've been married May has been the busiest month and then now I'm like hey by the way so May is my son's birthday our anniversary my wife's birthday mother's day all those things are packed in mm -hmm. May and then uh you know now that I make knives and that's like the busiest month for me and um so yeah, yeah. I, my wife and I had to talk about it and I'm like, so, you know, I love you. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we might have to start celebrating our anniversary like a month later yeah, or a month earlier because you know, or a month earlier, even then I'm, I'm a little, or, and then to which she was, she was gracious and nice about it. However, through the, or you could just prepare better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my right. wife tells me that. I too. guess I could do that. <laughs> I guess I could prepare better. I feel like I have prepared better every year. Just I want to bring more and more stuff every year. Yeah, and especially with like the knife making supplies and stuff, like uh, making sure I have enough hammers, making sure I have enough sanding sticks, and inevitably I never have enough of the correct size. So. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm losing some sales there because people are like, oh, I'll just order it on your website. I'm like, oh, I really appreciate it. And then like you go home and you print a handful of the <laughs> sizes they were talking about because I wrote down on a note and yeah, they never ordered it. So, yeah, you just got to you got to pull out your uh, tablet or your phone and do a custom order invoice right then and there. Yeah. And and be done with I it. Probably should. Yeah. We'll see, see how all that goes, but yeah, I'm going to try to have more of my bushcraft knives there. That seems to, to be the better sale sellers. Uh, my kitchen knives don't seem to sell extremely well at blade show, but one of the good things that's always come out of, uh, that is, uh, a lot of my dealers usually take, uh, a bunch of the knives that I have after blade show. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I did that this year where I, I was able to, I came, I mean, I I did really well at Blade Show and I was really pleased with it. 
Um, really, really pleased. And then as soon as I got back, I just shot emails out to to uh, vendors and uh, distributors and and cleared out almost, I think, all but like four of the knives that I had left over. Nice. Um, so, yeah, definitely that's that's the move is to hit up the vendors afterwards and uh, try to try to get them out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, this is some of the first time they've ever had knives on my website, too, which has been kind of nice. Usually people are like, oh, do you have anything that can you buy right away? I'm like, actually, I do right here on my <laughs> website. So. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about or? I don't know, man. Um, any any yeah, projects always, upcoming more stuff. that you want to talk about? Let people know. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah, I know where you're going, <laughs> Kyle. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Going back to Blade Show, so one of the great things that came out of Blade Show was uh, made a connection with uh, Boker, and um, they picked up a thicker clipper uh, Tanto and uh, talked about doing a production one. And so we've been working uh, working on that, getting details ironed out. And so yeah, we're looking at um, <clears throat> sometime in the future here. Uh, we're still working out the prototypes and all that, but. We're going to be doing a, a Boker uh, thicker clipper Tanto, so super excited about that. Um, I've been been holding that one back for a while. I know I told Kyle early on, um, but uh, you know I'm I'm always of the mindset of don't don't jinx things yeah. and uh, don't have to eat crow whenever stuff doesn't go through. But yeah. we're we're past that stage. And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's been super exciting and and fun to, to learn that process and what that looks like, uh, working with a manufacturer to, to do large scale production. Yeah. I was so happy for you when you were, when you told me they were talking to you and then when you actually got some of the stuff, like, uh, yeah, I was really happy for you. It's always, always good, to good feeling when people, you know, that are, are doing stuff oh one other thing what i made the joke was like don't forget about me when you hit it big time (laughs) (laughs) so yeah cool yeah no it's it was definitely um you know whenever yeah blade show when when they had talked about you know that they would like to do it and you know i kind of i've had some other companies in the past that have said they wanted to make stuff and have me design some stuff but nothing ever came of it so I didn't think too much of it, but, you know, as, as time went on and contracts went back and forth, um, that was, that, that's been a cool process and been exciting to do because, uh, and, and Brian even reminded me. So one of the first times that, that I met Brian, he, um, you know, he was talking about, you know, well, what do you want from knife making? Like, what's this, what's the future? What is, what are, what are you wanting to get out of it? And, and I had told him like, well, I want to make custom knives, but I want to have, I want to design knives for, for large scale production companies, um, have production, um, lower cost knives of mine available. Um, 
And so after Blade Show, whenever, uh, you know, I told him what was going on and, and he had to like put his hand on me, stop me and go, Hey, do you remember two years ago when we first met? This is what you said you wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, like take that in for a minute. Like this is, yeah, this is something cool because I hadn't done that at that and up until that point of, you know, acknowledging like, Oh, okay, this is, this is part of what I want. You know, I've done making knives. I've, you know, I'm, I've gotten better every day at making knives. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling to, and I, and I'm super excited to, to see what, how this is going to all yeah. come out. Yeah. I'm super excited for you too, man. Uh, it'll be really cool. Yeah. Like you said, one of the, one of the things for me was I wanted to get my knife in a magazine and uh Jess Hoffman messaged me when the he goes uh uh he just sent me the picture it was like where wh- where is that <laughs> it was like i didn't even expect cuz i've got like almost every dives annual book up there now i'm missing a couple of years but um if anybody wants to get the dives annual books cheap uh abe books i believe it is it's a like online used bookstore and they have a okay. they have a ton of them like a lot of those books i paid 10 or less dollars for uh nice. with free shipping so um it was pretty crazy yeah i mean hey this this is a cool part about being uh being a part of you know the knife making community is you know making friends you know you and i have become good friends we talk weekly <laughs> multiple times a week and that's super cool because um you know we get to share in each other's uh victories yeah. and and uh sometimes frustrations but to have uh friends like you to be able to yeah. you know call whenever cool stuff's going on and also call whenever we're about to you know punch <laughs> punch our fist through the wall yeah. or throw a knife against the wall mm-hmm. um and and get that uh yeah. have somebody be able to console us yeah well it's also good because like i can talk to my wife about how big of a deal that is and she yeah. she might she kind of gets it like she knows how she knows Don't she knows it. i'm working hard yeah. and everything like that but like somebody like you and other people like they know what a big deal it is and how rare yeah some of that notoriety and stuff like uh there's very few people that boker like i don't know how many but it's probably like under 100 people that they've worked with that have been outside their core design probably mm. like this like you think about they came to came to you and how yeah like how special that is like with uh, uh especially at blade show there's like Know, 800 custom knife makers there so yeah i know they said they always say they have over a thousand vendors but um you think about how many people that are designing knives and stuff there that uh it's really cool that they they liked your design enough to want to make it one of their offerings it's definitely weird man i appreciate it but it's definitely weird to think about and talk about because you know it's just it feels feels odd but you're right like 
sharing these things with with our wives they get excited for mm-hmm. us because they know we're excited mm-hmm. and they know it's a big deal to us but uh yeah having other people that are in the industry and be able to you know find joy in that with us and celebrate with us that is is really cool yeah or when you get a big order that's always always awesome to share and stuff yeah. like that so yep no doubt um how about you what what do you got going on what projects do you have what do i have going on uh my water cooled quench plates are rounding the the end uh i've I've done a handful of those um i hand done 10 different quench things with that pretty excited about how those are all coming out um i did a post where i i had about 15 people say they wanted more information about uh, pricing and stuff with that. So probably going to try to do a pre-order with that just because there's a ton of machining on those to be a one man shop. I don't have as quite as much money to outlay for having inventory like that, but um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of one of the bigger ones and I got other couple other ones that I'm still don't want to put out there publicly yet, but that I've been working on. So cool. yeah, the, the water cooled plates, it, it blows me away. I took the magna cut blades out that were 2150 and I count to 30 seconds, pull them out and they're a hundred degrees or less. So, yeah, uh, I was able to, to burn through those really quick because like, if you look at Laren's chart on there, like he has it like, five minutes at at the critical temperature 10 minutes at the critical temperature like it makes a big difference to to get those blades right moved in and out yeah it's crazy the the faster you can cool stuff the the better the tighter that steel is going to be and the the higher hardness you'll be able to get yeah but you also don't want to go too fast and like get a little too much yeah you don't want to fracture that's for sure yeah and i still even with the plates um those the i'm gonna be putting up a video tomorrow on uh youtube doing the hammer hammer straightening thing that's kind of a big one be my first video in four four or five years uh that i put on on my youtube channel (laughs) surprisingly people are still subscribing i've got like 600 something subscribers now um but uh yeah, right. When I was started doing my YouTube channel, and then Dan approached me about doing the podcast, and uh, I enjoy the podcast way more than I do videoing and listening to myself yeah. over and over editing video. So it's it takes a lot of time to edit video down, and and even just to film you doing what you want to do and saying it right. Takes- <laughs> i had to go back Thanks and reshoot forever. a couple times because it's like why did uh, i say that <laughs> which which then lets you know that that's how you know um that's why a lot of guys just do voiceover on their yeah. stuff so they can just sit there and retake the voice instead of having to go back and reshoot mm-hmm. the whole second yeah yeah i always feel weird doing the i haven't done any voiceover stuff but i i feel weird talking or it not lining up with but yeah, I get what you're saying. We yeah, had the, uh, I think I sent, I think I sent you the little video where I did the diagram. Did I put that in 
with you and Brian or I may have sent that just to I Brian. I think so, yeah. But I did like a diagram showing how the steel and stuff moves and Brian responded. He goes, I love how nerdy this is. Like <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Yeah, every time we nerd off nerd out on anything, it's always funny. One of the things have you have you uploaded very many videos to YouTube? No, so I did I did some YouTube video I've done shorts recently. Okay. A few years ago, I did a few longer videos, uh, which were some automotive repair stuff uh, that actually did pretty well. Um, But yeah, since then, I I really haven't done much. Did it take forever for your video to upload? Because mine was like, I shot it in 1080p, 60 frames, and Mm -hmm. uh, Final Cut said it was like 22 gigabytes for like it's just under 10 minutes. Um, I didn't want to like speed it up. Cause a lot of people say like, Oh, you're, you're, you're really hiding how long it takes to hammer straighten. Like even with like the beginning and yeah. end and everything, it was under 10 minutes to straighten it. Um, but it, it said it was going to, or it's estimated time was like three and a half hours to upload the, the yeah. 20 gigabytes or whatever. So. Yeah, they take a long time to to upload. I mean, hey, if you wanted to speed, still do like uh, sped up video, just put a timer in the background. Yeah, that's a good way to do it because you know you can't fake your timer. Yeah, it's going to go fast, but yeah, time is time. Yeah, I figured that the people that are they can they can handle it for ten minutes if they if they want to <laughs> if they want to scrub it a little bit they can. But, yeah. Um. Yeah, I get so many people that like ask me, well, how hard are you hitting it? Like, how long does that take? And the just straight video seems to be the best. And then I cut a couple of times so that it like I'm showing it on the surface plate with the the light behind it and everything where where I'm hitting, why I'm hitting, where I'm hitting and stuff like that. So I think it'll be a good reference for people that just whack all over the place until it's finally straight. (laughs) yeah that's uh that's some of the big things with me just trying to get a bunch of christmas orders and stuff that i committed to done it's going to be the next uh next couple weeks be i committed to this big uh chinese cleaver and it's uh four inches tall eight inches long uh luckily it's just 154 cm it's not magna cut yeah that's that's big uh yeah it's three thirty seconds steel and I'm going to try to do a full height grind on it. So, uh, oh, wow. We'll see how that goes. I, I made a, a Serbian cleaver out of this before. And, uh, I think with the techniques that I know on the disc grinder, it should go much faster than when I made the Serbian cleaver, like three years ago. So yeah, hopefully fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the phone call, Kyle. <laughs> I'm waiting for the phone call with your excitement yeah. because it, it went perfectly. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I got some bread knives. Uh, those always seem to do well. I need to I need to get that into CAD and get some of those water jet cut. Um, that bread knife seems to those bread knives seem to sell really well. Yeah, not a lot of people making them either. Yeah, they definitely and the and your bread knives have like a a cool shape to them too. Yeah, and kind of a little bit more curved. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the shape of those. Which it, lots of people like the the offset serrated. And I think with that curve, mm-hmm. it kind of gets your hand up a little bit more um, when yeah. you're cutting. Yeah, it's funny. My, I, I don't, yeah, I don't do really kitchen. I made some really kitchen knives, but I don't do that many. And part of the reason is every time I made a knife and I would bring it in and I'd be so proud of it. And then my wife would go, yeah, can you make one with serrations? <laughs> I'm like, what? You, she she uses like a bread knife for basically everything, cutting chicken, cutting everything. It's yeah. like, it's ridiculous. You know why most people use a bread knife? It's because all their other knives are dull. That's exactly <laughs> why. When I go to other people's houses, I usually try to grab the bread knife because I know it'll probably be at least be a little sharp because nobody ever uses it. <laughs> So, yeah, but at least, uh, most all of my family members have fairly sharp knives. Cause, uh, when I go down to Columbus or when I go over to my sister-in-law's house or whatever, I'll bring my, I got a, a knockoff brand Pelican case and I put, put okay. my, my diamond stones and stuff in there and I just bring, bring my whole sharpening kit. I've got the nano hone stone stage uh system right um and for for kitchen knives that that just seems to be what i like the best yeah nice but that's what i got going on some steak knives that's another recent development um i think those would be kind of cool i'm designing a 3d printed little box uh to hold those knives uh for like a little four four piece set nice yeah it's some of the stuff I got going on. Yeah. Sounds like you're busy, man. We're trying to make it, make it happen. Cool. Well, we've been a little over two hours. Anything else? Yeah. It's a good chat. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm still, still putting knives up all the time. Ballmanknifeandtool.com. Just, uh, every time I get a batch done, throw them up there. And uh, still working on a bunch of stuff at Housemade. So, we, uh, we got the the grinders, the forges, um, and we've got small wheel attachments now yeah. uh, that we've started coming out with. I was just assembling a bunch of those today, so we yeah. can start shipping those. I didn't realize those use the larger uh, bearings yeah. until Brian said it on the Work For It podcast. Yeah, we intentionally designed that with those larger bearings so they could run faster. And, you know, even if you run them at a normal speed, they're going to last longer. I, uh, I always like get a little weary running a small wheel that fast because the contact area is so high. (laughs) I like overheat or worried about overheating the steel, uh, the tang and right burning the epoxy yeah it's it's easy to do for sure mm-hmm. uh, if you're not paying attention yeah which we all fall into every once in a while of rushing through something pushing a little too hard running a little too fast with how cheap uh, bfds are now i i really think anybody that asks me about grinders i'm like you gotta gotta either either save up a little bit more and get a vfd it's so funny because we get that question all the time because we have like at Housemade, there's like the recommended, you know, motors, recommended VFDs. 
and we get, I mean, at least once a week, we'll get somebody, yeah, I know you recommend the three-phase motor and the VFD, but would this motor work? And they send us a link to, like, a single-phase, you know, single-speed motor, and it's, like, $100 cheaper overall. Yeah. And it's like, man, you can get a VFD for 90 bucks, and so you're saving $100, $150, and you're only going to be able to run one speed like that is totally not worth it yeah when you know to build a kit you're into it for you know twelve fourteen hundred dollars you know i don't understand why you want to say it like it's not worth the hundred dollar savings that you're after i think a lot of people just don't don't know they don't know how beneficial it is yeah 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 uh, you want to tell people where they can find it? You mentioned uh, Baldman Knife and Tool. Yeah. So baldmanknifeandtool.com is my website. Baldman Knife and Tool on Instagram, Facebook, um, Reddit, if you so choose to uh, delve into Reddit. And uh, yeah, you can find me uh, working, you know, most most every day at housemade.us doing the slinging the grinders and the parts pieces parts and plans and the apollo forge uh, you were welding up some of the apollo forge nipple burner things yeah we're we're always doing apollo stuff um pouring ribbon burners uh for those um launch pads for for those guys running those that's the refractory that we pour in there um yeah i think i'm gonna probably end up ordering uh one of those when i finally get the get it up and running because uh i don't want to yeah. mix up any more of that stuff <laughs> like <laughs> yeah so the the really cool thing about those is they do two things one they're going to keep any anything you know if you use flux they're going to keep that flux on those pads instead of getting down on the hard fire brick but the other thing they do is they insulate better mm-hmm. uh or they they hold heat better so you need the hard fire brick on the floor so you're not beating it up and wearing out those bricks all the time. But when you throw those launch pads in with the that are the poured refractory, they'll retain that heat. So when you put your blade back in or whatever piece you're heating up, it heats up way quicker because it's not touching that uh, hard fire brick that kind of wicks the heat away. Yeah. Uh, so it serves two purposes, really. Um, yeah um so yeah got the like i said i got the forges got uh grinders small wheel true tilt all that stuff and you know i know you're talking about your water quench plates we've got our air mm-hmm. quench plates that we just came out with yeah uh, it's kind of the air hockey table mm-hmm. uh approaches it from a different different angle we've talked about it a mm-hmm. lot uh you and i bouncing those back and forth um yeah and uh yeah, it's definitely so a good option your compressed for... air for people that uh, be a less expensive option to um, be able to cool your, do bigger batches. Yeah. I mean, water cooled is super cool. Having that ice run through there and keeps everything nice and nice cold. Um, I've been using this air quench. Uh, the rapid quench is what has the name of it. And uh, I've been using it since before blade show last year. Uh, to heat treat all my knives and yeah it just comes from a different approach and really what it came from was me wanting to not have to sit there with an air gun on each side mm-hmm. blowing air across 
um, to cool down the blades and then cool down the plates afterwards. Um, and so it just allowed me to be able to quench the blades, get them nice and cool while they're quenching. And I flip that air valve, I can go throw a couple more blades in the heat treat oven. And, and then by the time I'm done doing that, those blades are ready to pull out in a minute. Uh, it takes about a minute, minute and a half at most, uh, to cool them down to pat down below critical mm -hmm. and then, uh, run through my cryo. So it just really speeds stuff up. Yeah. I mean, I just, this last weekend I did a batch of 20 blades and two and a half hours or so. Nice. Um, so yeah. So yeah, we're just cranking out new products all the time. We got a couple more products at Housemade coming out. End of this year, beginning of next year. So yeah, yeah the keep an eye out drill for that. press table was a pretty neat idea, too. Yeah, yeah. Brian worked really hard on that. It's a definitely solves a big issue that a lot of guys have of you know being able to clamp down. You know, drill press vices are cool, but when you're trying to clamp a blade in there, it doesn't always work yeah. like you imagine it would until you try to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, the helicopter is a bad thing. So helicopter is not not a good thing, that's for sure. A lot of guys have been been uh had some serious injuries from helicopter blades. Yeah. When I got my first batch water jet cut, all the all the holes in my tang, I hit them with a little chamfer yep. thing. And uh I was like, why don't I do this for every blade? <laughs> 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 Um, uh, I really want to get more stuff water jet cut. So it was just so much faster and being able to have oh, a whole yeah. bunch of them up on the wall. Yeah. Have them listen, having water jet blanks is, is the way to go. Um, anybody that doesn't think so is just kind of being silly. Yeah. Um, or, or you're doing, if you don't have, <clears throat> if you don't have patterns you make over and over and over again, I can, I can understand the, yeah. the thing, but no. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you're not, if you're doing one-offs uh, every time and, and Hey, if you're fully forging your knife to shape, then you can't, that's not the way to go. But if you're doing stock removal uh, blades and you have a couple patterns that you do all the time, man, if you're not getting water jet out, you are crazy. Because <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's no argument to be made for handmade knives being profiled on a grinder. Yeah. I don't see, I don't see any argument. If anything, I see an argument for water jet because it's precision, and you're gonna have the same length blade every time, the same height blade mm -hmm. every time. The holes are gonna be in the same place for the pins every time. Like, yep. yeah, water jet's the way to go. Uh, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, and you keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly at Cage Daily Knives, and I'm Cage Daily Knives on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, all of them. And uh, if you go to cagedailyknives.com, sign up for my email newsletter. Uh, I'd love to have you on there to uh, let you know of sales and uh, new products and stuff. So thanks, Brent. It was uh, awesome getting to talk with you, man. 
And uh, man, it's great getting to talk to you. I'm uh, sad I missed talking to Dan. I, I get to talk to you a lot next time. I have to come on again so uh, I can talk with Dan a little yeah. too. Yeah. Thanks again. Good night, guys. Thanks, Kyle. Good night, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. To make the pledge. Let's take it to the edge. You good? I'm Ooh. good, man. It's a good thing I got that burp out before we started. <laughs> <laughs> All right.